I'd like for you to take God's word with me, please, again, and turn to the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, chapter 18. 1 Kings, chapter 18. Can you hear me okay? Good. I'm going to trust that our folks back there uh, can adjust that accordingly. And 1 Kings 18, and we'll look together at a very important text. that We've been looking at the life of Moses on Sunday mornings, but I believe God has led me to this passage of Scripture for today, for this morning. And um, earlier in the week, a friend sent over a little thought by A.W. Tozer that had to do with this verse, and I have not been able to shake it from my mind all week. And I believe God has brought us here. And I believe God has a message for each one of us today from this text. It, it really revolves around one verse, verse number 21. It's a verse that Tommy read a moment ago. Look at it with me, please. 1 Kings 18, verse 21. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. There's a question that was brought to the people of God in the days of Elijah. And the question was this, how long are you going to hobble between two minds? How long are you going to live torn between two opinions? If God, if the Lord, if Jehovah be God, follow him. But if Baal, this other God, be God, then follow him. And I believe there's a message here today for us. And I want you to look with me, please, first at the context that this question falls. At this point, it's been 58 years since King Solomon died. And upon Solomon's death, the kingdom of Israel was split into two, the northern and southern kingdom, ten tribes to one and two tribes to the other. And in those 58 years, there have been seven kings that followed Solomon. Beginning with Jeroboam, uh, seven kings over the ten tribes. And when, if you look back at chapter 12 of this text of one kings, you begin to look and you begin to see what the nation of Israel had been reduced to. Now already things were headed downhill, no doubt about it. But the moment that the kingdom was split, and the moment that it was divided, and that Jeroboam became king, the first king after Solomon, he immediately began to lead God's people astray. You find in, in 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse number 25, Then Jeroboam built in Shechem and Mount Ephraim and dwelt there and went out from thence and built in Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return unto the house of David. He was nervous about losing all the people that were following him. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people return again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam. So therefore, whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. 
and he set the one in Bethel and he put the other in Dan and this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one even unto Dan and he made of the house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people which were not the sons of Levi and thus the nation of Israel began a downward spiral don't trouble yourself it's too difficult, it's too much to go up to Jerusalem to worship. So let's stay where we are. It's a little easier. Sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? Stay where you are for the sake of ease, for the sake of comfort. Now, the people didn't realize that Jeroboam had a different mind about it all. They thought he was doing it for their good. But he was doing it for his good. And can I tell you where Israel began to fall? They began to fall in the area of the priesthood. And I'll come back to that in just a moment. If you turn the page to chapter 15, the second king that followed Jeroboam was Nadab. That's found in 1 Kings 15 and verse number 25. And Nadab, Nadab, the son of Jeroboam, began to reign over Israel in the second year of Asa. And the Bible says he did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father. As the father, so comes the son. Let that be a warning to you fathers. If you live a life of sin, you cannot expect your children to live any differently. Jeroboam did that which was evil in the sight of God. We could only expect that the next king, King Nadab, would follow. And then verse 15, ba Baasha, the son of Ahijah of the house of Issachar, conspired against him and he killed him. So now you've got a third king who's only the king because he killed the previous king. Not a good thing. Fourth king comes on the scene in chapter 16 and verse number 8. The Bible says he's a king by the name of Elah. And this king was a drunkard. Drinking himself drunk. And so, verse 10, Zimri come in. He became the fifth king by killing this one. So now a murderer is a king again. And a treason, a man of treason, you find in verse number 20. And then in chapter 16, verse 25, comes the sixth king, Omri. The Bible says that Omri there in, in uh, chapter 16 and verse 25, Omri wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all those that were before. Worse than murderers. Worse than drunkards. Worse than a man of treason. And these are the ones leading the land. These are the ones leading the nation. And then came the worst of the worst. When you thought it couldn't get any worse. When you thought a government couldn't stoop any lower. Then came an even more evil man. The Bible says in chapter 16 and verse number 28, So Omri slept with his father and was buried in Samaria, and Ahab his son reigned in his stead. The Bible says in verse 30, Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, a pagan, and went and served Baal. An Israelite, the king of Israel, who should be following Jehovah, the one true living God, has gone to follow a false god. And the Bible says, 
He reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. And that's when Elijah shows up. In the darkest of days for the people of God, in the space of 58 years, Israel had digressed so far that they were no longer even recognizable as the people of God. And I don't mean to offend you, but so has the church of the living God today. We have digressed so far over the last decades that we are no longer recognizable. We have stooped so low that you can barely recognize the people of God today. Ask yourself this morning, are we really the bride of Christ? Is this what the Lord Jesus died for? You look around at what is being promoted in churches and chapels and on Zoom and whatever else, whatever platform they might use, and you ask yourself, is this what Jesus bled for? Think of the digression of Christianity in the last 58 years here. It was 58 years that God's people had digressed in the days of Elijah. And think about the, the way that we have digressed, the way that the Christian church has digressed over the last 58 years. What have we become? There was a time when leaders of this nation would once call for prayer and fasting. And today we're told that prayer and fasting is likened unto torture. We're told today that pastoral counseling, when once kings and queens and prime ministers and, and the members of parliament would once ask for advice and counsel from men, men of God like John Owen and John Bunyan. John Newton, pardon me, they didn't care for John Bunyan too much. But John Newton, we're once... People in authority recognized that it was a wise thing to inquire of men of God. And today, the advice of pastors has been, in an article today, has been called repulsive and abhorrent. The governments of this world stink in the nostrils of a holy God. Where did it go wrong? In Parliament? No. I'm sorry, but you're fighting the wrong battle. It began long before Parliament. It began in the pulpit. And in 1 Kings chapter 12, you find the problem with Rehoboam was that he made a house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. Men who had no business being in the pulpit were standing week after week and feeding the people of God lies. And after 58 years of nonsense, the na nation of Israel was no longer recognizable. And the problem today lies in the pulpit. Problem today lies in the people of God. And can I tell you that there will never, ever be any rain until the problem of the pulpit is dealt with. Three years it hadn't rained. For three years there had been no rain at all. A drought and a famine. That was the consequence of their, of their waywardness and rebellion towards God. Three years and they were beginning to feel it now more than ever. 
but there will never be. In this land, there's more than three years of famine and drought. Amos, the prophet, spoke about there'd be a famine in the land, a famine of the word of God. When people would go to and fro trying to hear the word and never, never be able to find it. And there are people here today who have to travel more than an hour because there's a famine in the land for the word of God. And if we want rain, then it's got to start here. It's got to begin here. And as long as those who occupy our pulpits hold hands with a corrupt and wicked government or leadership, whatever it might be, there'll be no rain and be no revival. As long as we bow the knee to Baal and at the same time on Sunday try to bow the knee to God, there'll be no revival. All of Israel was being swept away in the judgment of God. Then came Elijah. In the midst of this spiritual darkness and degradation appeared the prophet of fire. Baal worship was everywhere. And the remnant of the true people of God, I'm sure they thought, maybe we're wrong. Because the majority of those who call themselves children of God have so compromised and so bowed the knee. We're such a minority, maybe we're the wrong ones. Let me encourage you today. God's people have always been a remnant. A remnant. It's an interesting thing. The God that they worship, Baal, was a God of fertility. And there was no rain for three years. The God that they had forsaken Jehovah for was a God of fertility, God of rain, God of weather, God of wind. And where was he? And as laughable and deplorable as that is, you think about what we have left Jehovah for. You think about what the Christian church has left Jehovah for. We've bowed the knee to something even less, something even worse. Bowed the knee to intellectualism and, and so-called science. And whatever somebody in authority and position has, Whatever they say must be true, so we'll go along with it. They're much more clever than I am, right? After all, this is their specialty. So whatever they say, if they tell us marching off a cliff, that's good for your health. Go for it. The majority of humanity goes, well, he's wearing a lab coat, isn't he? And we've bowed the knee. It's interesting, as you look at our text in 1 Kings 18, uh, Elijah confronts Ahab. And when they come together in that, in that meeting, he's only seen him twice now. The first time he saw him, he prayed that the heavens would be closed up, no rain for three years. Three years later now, second appearing, and Ahab says, Elijah, saw Elijah, art thou he that troubleth Israel? Anytime a man or woman of God stands up for the truth of who God is, he is accused of being the troublemaker. Anytime somebody stands up and goes against the flow, anytime, while everybody else is just going along, you will be certainly called the troublemaker. Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Look at Elijah's response. 
I have not troubled Israel, but thou in thy father's house. And let me tell you how you've troubled Israel. You have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Can I tell you something as clearly as I can this morning? The trouble is not with those who obey God, but rather with those who forsake God. That's the trouble. The criticism that God's people are under because they're trying to follow him. The, the hatred that is coming out of so-called brothers, brothers and sisters in Christ, coming out of the mouths of fellow Christians because they're just trying to serve God. There's an evidence that something is terribly wrong. And so Elijah brings the people to a choice. And with the help of Almighty God, I want to bring you this morning to a choice. He says in verse number 19, Now therefore, send and gather to me all Israel. Because of the forsaking of God, because of the trouble you've caused, let's get everybody together. Enough is enough. Something must be done. I hope that you're beginning to feel that way yourself. But what? What can be done? Well, I'll tell you what happens. I'll tell you what Elijah does. He does something with a confrontation and a choice. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really like confrontation. I get sick in the belly anytime I think about a confrontation. My flesh doesn't like it. I naturally shrink away from it. I oftentimes feel like Gideon. Just want to quietly thresh wheat over here in the wine press. Just want to be, just want to be away. I don't want to cause any problems. But there comes a point when God's people have to stand up. Amen. And so Elijah confronts the king. Well, Yes, he's already done that. But Elijah's confrontation was with God's people. False prophets as well. He called the 400 prophet, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of the grove, and he brought them together. But the main confrontation was with the people of God. It wasn't in a protest, and I'm not saying that's always bad. It wasn't in letters and emails and petitions and placards. But the confrontation that Elijah took was face-to-face -face with God's people. And I'm telling you, that's where we need to begin. And here's the confrontation. Would you look this way for a moment? How long are you going to hobble between two opinions? That word halt means to be crippled. And because you're crippled, and because you're between two opinions, you're stuck. How long, says Elijah, will you live in a compromised position? For 58 years, God's people had been on the decline. Oh, but we, we worship God. Yes, we do. Yeah, we, we worship him, and we may not be as serious as you are, you know, Elijah, but hey, we haven't forsaken God. Let me tell you what the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 17 about the people of God in verse number 33. They feared the Lord and served their own gods. Oh, I, I haven't, we haven't left God. We're still meeting very faithfully on the internet. We're doing this, we're doing that. We haven't totally, I'm still praying. Everything's still good. I haven't forsaken God. No, no. The greatest problem in the world right now is a sick church. A compromised people. 
and we have no power because we are sat on the fence. No power, no authority. The power and authority that we read about in the book of Acts and in the early days of church, the power and authority we read about in the days of revival is nowhere to be found because we are sat on the fence. One foot in the world and one foot in the church and we feel better because at least we've got one foot in the church. Double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Can I ask you this morning, how long are you going to live like this? Totally defeated. You are totally defeated. If we ride the fence, if you ride the fence today, one foot in the world and, and one foot in the church, and nice ideas about God occasionally, but for the most part, no thought of God. You are totally defeated. It's not that you're going to one day be defeated. You are defeated right now. And don't come to the house of God and praise God and then tomorrow send messages with swear words and all sorts of filth out of your mouth. You are defeated. How long will you live like this? Don't watch a sermon one day then watch filth on the internet the next day. Neither hot nor cold and Jesus says I'll spew you out of my mouth. Neither for God, neither against him. You just sat right in the middle. And Elijah says, and I echo the words of Elijah, how long are you going to live like this? Tottering and limping back and forth and one day trying to follow after God and the next day following after money. It's a disgrace. Back and forth and back and forth and up and down. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. You can't leave God totally because you know he's real. But you can't leave the world because you're afraid of what they might say. Enough is enough. So Elijah brought them to a decision. It's the same thing that Joshua did. Do you remember what Joshua said? It's the same thing that Moses did. Moses came down off of the mountain and said, What on earth are you doing? Joshua said, look, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Right now, not tomorrow, not when you're thinking a little bit more about it, today. If you don't choose today, you'll never choose. Oh, well, uh, I'm going to think about it. You give me a lot to think about. I'm going to go home and think. No, 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 no. Choose you today. Draw a line in the sand, cross the line, and determine you're never going back again. Can I tell you, to delay is to choose the world. But I'm going to get myself in the right frame of mind first, and then, then I'm going to really go. No, 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 no. To delay is to choose Baal. To delay is to choose this world. You say, well, what are we choosing? What's the choice? Is it whether I'm going to take a vaccine or not? No, no, that's not the choice. Is it lockdown or no lockdown? No, 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 that's not the choice. The greatest decision to be made today is to settle who you will serve and who you will follow. I don't want to hear you talking about a vaccine or a lockdown if you're not following Jesus. Don't call yourself a Christian and bang on about that and not follow the Lord. Follow Jesus. I'm not following the things of this world. I want to keep my eyes on the Savior. If the Lord be God, 
Follow him. And can I tell you, if you follow him, all the other choices will be just fine. You'll make the right choice. If you follow the Lord Jesus, every other choice you got to make will have been no problem at all. And when it comes time to make a choice, because you're following him, he will lead you into the choice. Some of you are trying to make a choice without following God. And there are 1,000 voices to be heard every day telling you a different thing. No wonder everybody's going mental today. Push all those voices away and seek to hear one voice. Not my voice, but the voice of God. If the Lord be God, follow him. This is the choice today of who you will follow, and you can only choose one. You can't choose two. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 6, you know exactly what I'm going to say. He told us, look, no man can serve two masters. Can't be done. For you will either hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Choose Christ. Choose, and I'm not talking about the modern version of Jesus, which is a corruption and a perversion. But Jesus lets me do anything I want to do. He's full of love and compassion and acceptance and, oh, he's wonderful. We can, no, 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 no. Yes, he is full of love and compassion and acceptance, but he also demands and expects that you deny yourself and follow him. He wants, there's a great multitude. You say, you're going to lose a lot of people. I, I'm not, I want true followers of Christ. There was a great multitude following Jesus one day and he turned around to them and he said, look, if any man come to me, if you're going to follow me, here's what he said, and you hate not your father and your mother and your wife and your children and your brethren and your sisters and your own life also, you cannot be my disciple. Now I guarantee you, he lost a lot of followers that day. And whosoever doth not bear his cross. Whoa, whoa, don't talk to me about a cross now. I didn't sign up for that kind of Christianity. And that's why so many people are quiet and happy to hide away at home because they bear no cross. But the Bible says all those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We have a crossless Christianity today. And it is a farce. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost whether you have sufficient to finish it? Jesus is saying, just like Elijah, look, like Joshua, choose you this day whom you will serve. How long are you going to halt between two opinions? Figure it out today. If God is God, follow him. But if he's not God, then go on about your merry way. Serve yourself. Serve your flesh. Serve this world. Jesus goes on to say, so likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. That is true Christianity. Following Jesus. And if you remember, Jesus went to a cross. Now let me speak to another group of you this morning briefly. Some of you know that God should be loved and served and followed 
with all of your heart. You believe the word, you agree with the word, you believe Jesus came and died on the cross and outwardly you're living a good life, you're living, a, it looks like a very Christian life, but for some reason or another, you will not take your place amongst the believers. Maybe you feel that you're too unworthy. Maybe you're afraid that you, if you, if you commit publicly and say, I, I believe Jesus, I, I'm a follower of Jesus, maybe you're afraid you're going to fall away. But can I tell you, this is wrong. If the Lord be God, then follow him. If the Lord be God, then follow him and trust his grace. And can I tell you one last thought? If we are going to follow him, then we must be decided in our practice as much as we are in our profession. Would you look this way for a moment? I am tired of big talkers. And the world doesn't need it. The world doesn't need another voice. But what the world does need is an evidence of a changed life. Leonard Ravenhill said one time, what the world needs is not a, a new definition of Christianity, but a new demonstration of it. And may God help us that our practices would be as clear and decided in following Jesus as our profession. Otherwise, if you don't live it, then your profession is worthless. If you don't live what you speak, then what you speak has no value. And for the rest of your life, people cannot trust you because you are saying one thing and living another thing. And that has brought the most damage to Christianity over the last several years. Now, can I show you something in closing? The Bible says at the end of verse 21, after Elijah said, look, if God, the Lord be God, then follow him. If Baal be God, then follow him. And the, and the saddest thing in that verse is the Bible says the people answered him not a word. Now, can you look here for a moment? Some of you will leave this place and you will not answer a word. Meaning, that's not for me. And you will remain undecided. You will leave this place the same way you came in, stuck between two opinions, between two minds. But I, I want to call you today to choose this day whom you will serve. I want you to take as personally as you possibly can this challenge that you will no longer be stuck, no longer torn to and fro, tossed here and there, but wholeheartedly decided, I will follow Jesus no matter the cost. Will you do that? I am, I've never been one for a show of emotion. I rarely get people to raise their hands. I rarely do that because I understand you can raise your hand all day long and your heart be a thousand miles away. I don't give altar calls typically because I know that you can walk down the aisle and convince everybody of something, but it not be the real thing. So I'm not interested in you doing something that will appeal to everybody else and will please everybody else. But I'm interested in you right where you sit right now to decide that today you will follow God because he is God. And even if you be the only one in a tent full of however many people are here, Will you follow him? Will you follow him? Let's bow our heads together in prayer.
Heavenly Father, we ask of Thee, in mercy, help us. If there's been anything of my flesh that's been in the way, forgive me, Lord. But Thou knowest my desire and my heart, and it is to be as clear and plain as possible, as I believe Thy prophet Elijah was. I pray, Father, that Thou wouldst raise up from this congregation men like Elijah, men and women who would determine to follow thee when it is vastly, widely unpopular. When perhaps we might be the only ones standing against 850 false prophets. Help us to stand, Lord. Help us to follow thee because we know that thou art God. And one day very soon we shall meet thee and have to give an answer as to why for so long we were stuck between two opinions. Burn within our heart the understanding that we will give an account for the days that have been wasted hanging out in between two minds. Oh, help us, Lord. I pray for some people here this morning who are riding that fence even now. May this, by thy grace and by the power of thy spirit, may this be the day that they get off of the fence and determine to follow thee. Help them. I'm thinking of some dear friends right now who have been away from thee, Lord. Bring them home, please. By thy spirit, Lord. I cannot with words do it. But by thy spirit work, Lord. And I pray for those who are lost this morning who may be a little overwhelmed by this. I pray that they might see and catch a little glimpse that what the world has to offer is perishing. It's dying before our eyes. And may they be caused to see today that the Lord, He is God. And perhaps even today there might be one this morning who will be caused by Thy Spirit to repent of their sins and by faith believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is their Savior. Work, we pray, Father. Do what we cannot do. We ask again, Lord, assist thy people to stand for thee. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake.